0: God for that. Let's take our Bibles and let's go to Leviticus 23, and we're going to catch up on the middle feast and the fall feast. Leviticus 23, this great calendar of Israel, ancient Israel. Seven feasts throughout the year, three in the spring, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. All of those picture Jesus' first coming His death on the cross, then He was buried on the Feast of First Fruits, and then on Yom Rishon on Sunday, Fe- on the very Feast of first fruits, he wrote from the dead. So you have his death, burial, and resurrection. We have our justification by faith alone, declared righteous. Then we have our progressive sanctification during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then we have our resurrection in glory at the rapture. Those alive will be transformed. Those dead will be raised. What a great thing, isn't it? Now, we move on in Leviticus chapter 23, and let's have a word of prayer before we move run along too quickly here. Father, we thank you for giving us time to reflect on the cross, both in song and in scripture. We're thankful to be able to partake of the bread and the cup this evening to remember our Savior's death. And now we turn our attention to the calendar that you designed. You chose these dates on purpose. They have meaning. They are special to us and to Israel and to all the world. And we're grateful for the promises that you have made and how Jesus has fulfilled each and every one. And we're grateful now to see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, the continued ministry of Jesus Christ. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. So Leviticus 23, we're beginning in verse 15. Remember, we just ended with Feast of First Fruits, which is on what day of the week? Sunday always Sunday verse fifteen and you shall count for yourselves here we go from the day after the Sabbath, which the day after the Sabbath is Sunday. so count for yourselves from Sunday from the day that you brought the sheaf of the way of offering that's the the resurrection first fruits. you have to count seven Sabbaths. Well here I'm a mathematician Seven Sabbaths is seven times seven, which is forty nine. so that's easy seven sevens forty nine. so from the day of first fruits you count. Seventh Sabbath, or 49 days, but that's not it. Verse 16, count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So there you have 50 days, which we would say Pentecost. Pente meaning the, the five, the, um, the, round, the number of five or the multiple, the multiple of five. So we have the day of Pentecost is exactly 50 days after the feast of first fruits all the time and just like first fruits is on a sunday pentecost is always on a sunday as well could never could not be cel- celebrated on any other day here's what you'll do you'll offer a new grain offering to the lord verse 17 you'll offer you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah they shall be of the, of fine flour they shall be baked with leaven notice everything else was unleavened now we throw leaven in the mix they are the first fruits to the lord And then all sorts of offerings will be offered on that day as well. So the big thing about Pentecost is you would would bake two loaves of bread, but this time you would put leaven in the loaves. All right, who are the two loaves? Well, there's really, as we'll see in Romans chapter 3, there's really only two groups of people in the world, Jews and Gentiles. And of course... Israel is the Jewish nation, and then you have all of the Gentiles around them. So what God is doing on the day of Pentecost is God is giving birth to the church. So we know from Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, as the disciples, 120 of them, were gathered in the upper room, that there came the sound of a rushing, mighty wind. Same word used as in Genesis 2-7, where God breathed into Adam the breath of life. Now God is breathing down from heaven... Another new man. But this new man is not Adam with two hands, two feet, eyes, nose. It is a body, but it is the body of Christ, the church, which is composed of Jew and Gentile. And you know what Romans, see, I've been in Romans so much, I'm going to be quoting a lot of Romans in the weeks to come. What does Romans 3 say? All have been confined under sin. Jew and Gentile under sin. One group called the church. The leaven picturing the sin. So we have two groups of people, Jew and Gentile, now in one body, under sin, but saved by the grace of God. So that happened on the day of Pentecost. Now it's believed by many, and if you, and we don't have time, but you could look at Exodus 19. Israel leaves Egypt on Nisan 15, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember the Passover? That was twilight on the 14th. On the 15th of Nisan, they leave Egypt. They get to Mount Sinai in the third month after. And if you do the math, it could be that they arrive at Mount Sinai shortly before Pentecost, and then Moses is up on the mount getting the law. But you know what happens in Exodus 19? You know what happens? Israel went into Egypt as a family, as Jacob's family, and 430 years later, they come out as a nation. I think the nation Israel was birthed there at Mount Sinai because God said through Moses, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. I think right there, Exodus 19 is when Israel officially became a nation. They were families and groups of families before that, but now they're a a nation the day of Pentecost. Now, many 1400 some years later, Israel, hey, is Israel done with? No, Israel's not done with. They are set on a shelf. They have one week left for God to work with, called the 70th week of Daniel, and that's coming up. So what does God do? God sets Israel on the shelf. He now works with two loaves of leaven, Jew and Gentile together in a body called the church. Now, that's this feast, uh, which takes place typically in the end of May, middle to end of May. Uh, It's believed, well, let's keep going. Let's just move on. Verse 23. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, here's the next feast, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month. All right, so we just jumped. We just jumped from late spring, early summer to a whole gap of four months long with no holidays, no vacations, no extra Sabbaths, no feastings, no gatherings, no holy convocations. Why? Let's think about this. Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. Then he started the church, Now, what have we been in the last 2,000 years? The church age, this long gap called the church. I think Paul, the apostle, thought the church age would be a very short time. I bet he thought, let's get the church going, and it'll be gone before you know it. 2,000 years later, the church is here. So the four-gap period of all those long summer months of the high heat in Israel is picturing the long period of the church, Because God is going to work with Israel again, and that's found in the fall feasts, which picture the second coming of Jesus. So let's look at verse 23 again. Uh, Leviticus 23, verse 24. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, so the beginning of the seventh month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. So now, the first of every month, you blow trumpets no matter what. It's kind of like the clock for Israel. Two silver trumpets blown... uh, Every, every, the beginning of every month, the new moon. Here, it's too, it's, you blow the trumpets, but you take a day off. No work this day. What do you do? A memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You gather together with remembrance and reflection on the Lord. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. All right, everybody, why do you blow a trumpet? To get at people's attention. Prior to the service, the trumpets were practicing. Praise God, they were sounding great. But boy, did it get your attention. Because the trumpet is a call to listen. So we have in Isaiah chapter 27. In the context, Isaiah 27, it's about the regathering of Israel. And Isaiah 27, verses 12 and 13, God says, In a future day, I will blow a great trumpet, and Israel will be regathered. Pretty neat, isn't it? So the blowing of a trumpet... Is a reminder, God is going to call Israel together to deal with one last time. Because up until then, God had promised you will all be scattered around the world. But then he says, I will bring you back. And the bringing back is going to be this great trumpet sound. There's another trumpet in the Bible. Which one is that? The rapture. It could be that this fall feast is picturing the fact that before the end times events will unveil themselves, there'll be a trumpet. Sound for the church, because at that point, what's what's true about the church? We're done. We're not on the earth anymore. The church is caught up to be with the Lord. We don't have our ministry down here on earth, and literally, the church age comes to a close. We won't be doing this anymore because we'll all be together in heaven. Pretty exciting, isn't it? We won't be evangelizing. We won't be here on earth. Um, The church age is done, and God is going to pick up with Israel again. So there's there's this big announcement, and God says, look out. It's the seventh month of the year. Great things are happening in the feast schedule. Well, let's continue on. Verse 26, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also, the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now we'll see the word afflict in verse 29. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off. If on the day of atonement, 10 days after the trumpets are blown and the the whole thought of regathering Israel, right, for the 70th week and for the church to disappear, it all makes sense. There's going to be a 10 day time period. And on the 10th day, there's going to be affliction of soul. Good times or bad times to afflict your soul bad times it's a hard time israel when they get regathered and the church is gone will go through seven years of what does bible call it great tribulation well the last three and a half years are great tribulation the first three and a half are tribulation but either way it's an affliction of the soul what is remember this what is the purpose of the day of atonement leviticus 16 the purpose is to cover the sin of israel remove their sin cover their sin right? So the final day of atonement is when Israel's sin is cleansed and wiped away. And when does that happen? When Israel believes in their Messiah. When does that take place? The end of the tribulation. So do you see the order of all things? The spring, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, the birth of the church, the trumpet sound, Israel's regathered. Now Israel is cleansed at the end of the seven years, which is the second coming of Jesus. And finally, We get down to the Feast of Tabernacles, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. So you have on the tenth day of the month, Yom Kippur. That's the cleansing of Israel, and I believe the return of Jesus to this earth as the second coming. Now, on the fifteenth day, all the way to the 21st, you have one more feast, the last feast of the year. It is the Feast of Sukkot. The word Sukkot means booth, booths, literally tents. And in Israel, when you celebrate this, it's a great experience. What you do is you find a side of your house and you build a lean-to out of branches. You would grab certain branches in Israel, but for us it would be Birch and popple and pine, but you would you would then basically make a lean to against your house, and for seven days God said, You live not in your house, but you live and you dwell, you eat and you sleep in your makeshift tent. Every year, every year you do this. Wouldn't that be great? I would have loved to have church for seven days in a tent outside. And that's what this was. It was a holy convocation. And every family did it. Wherever you lived, you would build your sukkah, or if you went to Jerusalem, you would find a place, build a sukkah, and live there and dwell in that tent. Why? Because you would be reminded, God brought us out of the Exodus. He brought us to Mount Sinai. There he made us his people, and we were in the wilderness, and he took care of us all the way. There were two things you need in the wilderness. Honestly, two things you need to survive in the wilderness. Light and water. And what did Jesus provide? Light, the pillar of light, and water from the rock. And it says, listen, read your Bible carefully. It says the water from the rock followed them throughout. How did it follow them? I don't know, but it followed them. Wherever they went. They had living springs of water, refreshing water, in the middle of the desert. And so they were dwelling in these tents. God said, as part of your holiday, I want you to remember me by dwelling in a tent. Because who else was dwelling in a tent at the time? God was dwelling in a tent, called the tabernacle. God said, my whole goal is to dwell with you. I'm dwelling in a tent. You're dwelling in a tent. These are great days. Right? Right? Take your Bibles. Go with me to Deuteronomy 31. There is something significant about the Feast of Tabernacles that isn't true about the other feasts. Deuteronomy 31, and look with me at verse 9. This is part of the holiday. I don't know. What, what do you all do for Christmas? What do we do for Christmas? Christmas. We usually go to church, and then on Christmas Day, we have family, and we eat, and I don't know, we probably do the same things every year, but I can't even think of what they are. But here, for the Feast of Tabernacles, God said, you dwell in a tent for seven days, and remember the wilderness experience where I took care of you all the way. I was your light. I was your water. I dwelt in a tent. You dwelt in a tent, and someday, I'm going to dwell with you forever as well, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But here's what else Israel had to do on during the Feast of Tabernacles. Deuteronomy 31.9. So Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, At the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God, in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to hear or to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children... Who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the word, the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land which you crossed the Jordan to possess. So every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles, you would read the entire law. Maybe just the book of Deuteronomy, the second reading of the law. But you would read the law, and everybody from the youngest to the oldest would sit under the hearing of God's word. Why? Same reason we're meeting tonight. We forget. And if the nation Israel doesn't hear the law over and over and over, they will forget that they are sinners and God is holy, right? They'll forget, we need to bring the appropriate sacrifice. We need to give voluntary sacrifices out of love for the Lord. It needs to cost us something. They forget those things. They forget that sin is a big issue and holiness matters. So God said, every seven years, you read this law, it'll be the year of release, the year when the It's it's the year when all the slaves are set free to go back. If you became an indentured servant, you would go back to your home. You would be set free and and have liberty. But the Feast of Tabernacles is a very crucial day. And there's one more thing about the holiday. Take your Bibles, go with me to Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14, verse 16. The Feast of Tabernacles, it pictures... Jesus Christ, dwelling on earth in the millennial kingdom. That's when God will dwell on earth in Jerusalem in body form again. Jesus will come in his second coming. He will set foot on the Mount of Olives. It will split. He will march into Jerusalem and he will regenerate this planet and he will sit on his throne in Israel in Jerusalem for 1,000 years. It's going to be glorious. And the feast they will celebrate is the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because to tabernacle means to dwell with. God is finally dwelling with his people. And that's the great thing about death for the believer, isn't it? Death for the believer, it's, it's sad. It is very sad and it it's grieving and it's difficult. But for the one who dies, it's tabernacling with, it's tabernacling with God. It's dwelling with God. Who doesn't want that? Uh, Such a a glorious thought, as hard it is for those who are left behind here. But Zechariah 14, look at verse 16. "And And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, this is the end of the seven years, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, that's Jesus Christ, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that Whichever the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If Here's an example. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter it, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, you and I are the church, so we don't have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. You know that, right? We don't have to keep Passover. We don't have to keep any of them. We're not under any rule as a form of life, but... These people will have to get to Jerusalem, and if they don't, there's plagues and lack of rain for the nation. So they will come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. But I think this is the most amazing. Verse 19, This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because Jesus is finally back on earth in body form. In that day... Holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Now, we've been in Leviticus long enough to know this. Where does it say, where is it engraved, holiness to the Lord? Okay, it's in the book of Revelation as well, about holiness to the Lord. But on, but where would you find it in the tabernacle? The The, the actual words, holiness to the Lord on the high priest's headband, right? On his crown, on his miter, you would find holiness to the Lord. Now that is holy, right? But listen, in the in the kingdom, when Jesus dwells here, and the Feast of Tabernacles becomes a reality, I'm not much of a horse person, but the bells of horses seems like pretty common stuff, right? Bells on horses just seem real common. Nothing's too spectacular, but even those are going to be holy to the Lord. Even those will be holy, set apart for the glory of God. Like literally everything will be set apart for the glory of God. If you have a regular old pot, maybe you've got your pancake batter in it. It is as holy before God as the al- What are the bowls in front of the altar? What did the bowls catch in front of the altar? Blood of a sacrifice. Your common pots and pans are going to be as sacred as the, as the bowl that catches the sacrificial blood. What is, it, what is it saying? When Jesus comes back, he's going to make everything new. He's going to keep sin under, under bay with a rod of iron. And for 1,000 years, peace and righteousness will rule when Jesus tabernacles with his people. So let's bring this to a conclusion. Leviticus 23. there's Sabbaths, there's offerings involved. Verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the children of Israel, the feast of the Lord. Okay. One last thing about the feast of tabernacles. Because, again, I'm just giving you an overall sketch of the of the feasts and the history. But it is believed that at the end of the feast, because it's the last feast of the year, Feast of Tabernacles, the last official one. There's Hanukkah and things, but this is the last one that God picked as his number seven. What you would do is they would light the menorahs, but in, in uh, the temple that Herod recreated or, or renovated, there are um, historians that say there were two gigantic menorahs that stood in the courtyard. Like gigantic, that when when you lit those menorahs, you literally lit up the hill of Jerusalem. It would be like you go to a football stadium and you put all the lights on, and man, it brightens up the playing field, doesn't it? So you had these huge menorahs, and on the last day of the feast... You would light those menorahs and that glow would, would shine all over from the temple. Okay, that's, that's the idea. That is the time in John chapter 8 where Jesus is walking in Jerusalem and he says, I am the light of the world. But in chapter 7, Jesus is standing at the temple on the steps and the priests. you know, there's 199 animals that were slaughtered up on that altar during the week of tabernacles. So that's a lot of blood flowing and a lot of a lot of guts and everything up there. So the priests would go down to the pool of, Sh- of Shiloh. They would gather big buckets. They would walk back up the hill. And one after another after another would pour their water to wash the blood off of the, uh, off of the Temple Mount area. And it would flow down these channels. And it would flow down the sidewalk and the steps. So literally your feet were walking in blood water. It was a way of cleansing all the blood of all the feasts and all of that stuff that was going on. It's believed, it's at that point, that J- Jesus in John seven thirty seven he said, I, I am the living water. If any man believes in me, out of him flows, right, issues, great living water. And of course, he spoke about the Spirit of God. So all of that tied into the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7 and 8. So if you reread John 7 and 8 in light of tabernacles... It's pretty amazing what Jesus was teaching. Listen, every Jewish person would have known Jesus is saying he's the Messiah king. They would have known it. They would have said, anybody who talks like that in the Feast of Tabernacles is saying they are king. It was, it was easy, easy to, to hear, but hard to believe for the Jewish people. Well, that's the calendar that God said they had to keep every year, and they're still keeping it. You can look on, you can Google the Jewish uh, feast of 2021, and it will give you the days, the times, the sunsets. It'll give you everything you need about all the different feasts of, these, of the Lord. Now, amazing that they celebrate these feasts and they don't have any clue what they mean. They don't realize Jesus came to pay for their sin and he's coming again to rule and reign with power. Many people just finish celebrating Christmas with no thought of God. How can you do that? I did it until I was 26. I loved Christmas. I didn't know Jesus, and I didn't love Jesus, but I sure loved Christmas. But when I realized what Christmas is all about, I'm like, that's all we want. We want the babe in a manger, God becoming flesh, dwelling amongst us. So let's ne- that's why Colossians 2 is important. Never let the ritual overshadow the substance, and the substance is Christ. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. We're so grateful to be able to study the book of Leviticus and to grasp what you are teaching Israel. Everything pointing to Christ. Everything would direct them to Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And I pray that you would have that archangel voice and the trumpet of God and Jesus returning for the church at any moment. We would even take him tonight. So, Father, we pray you would send the Lord. And then you would continue your work with Israel. You will cleanse Israel. And, you would, and Jesus would then set up his kingdom here on earth. You are a glorious God, and we are thankful to be your people.